This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's take a look here. I just want to go over this real quick. This is the R3, R is in Robert, numerical3.com piece that we were looking at. And this is uh, Section 3, Independent Payment Operations. So this will give you a little bit of an understanding of how this works behind the scenes. It says, token issuance is the first step towards payment operations. In this section, we look at how payments would work in the RLN framework. In the current sandbox for digital currencies, payments are accomplished in a single uh, atomic transaction. This uses a cross-network implementation to ensure sub-network partition sovereignty. In contrast, RLN purposes uh, three steps for payments. These are one, burning. Tokens are burned in the sending partition. This represents extinguishing a liability of the sending party. Number two is minting. Tokens are created in the receiving partition. This represents creating a liability of the receiving party. And three, settlement. Central bank tokens are the only form of settlement. The sending party settles with the receiving party through a token transfer in the central bank partition. Now, burning, minting, and settlement. This is all done in uh, cryptocurrency. So, again, this is just my personal opinion. Anyone who believes that cryptocurrencies were developed for the purpose of breaking the central banks and breaking the governments, you got to be nuts, folks. This stuff was all designed by someone, and it wasn't a couple of nerds, and it wasn't some Japanese guy fairy tale who developed this and then the central banks you know deconstructed it all reverse engineered it and they're going to turn it into their own system this was all done and all test piloted and all beta tested through everything that's been out there the last 10 years i mean look at vitalak buterin in 2013 Coming up supposedly with the idea of Ethereum, Peter Thiel funds him in 2014 to work on it, and they launch it in 2015. And look how extensive it is. And so why would anyone believe that the same technologists, the same technocrats, people like the uh, was it the Winklevoss twins of Facebook, that these technocrats in any way, shape, or form, we're developing a monetary system for the purpose of breaking the central banks and governments when these people are funded by the governments. They are funded by the governments. These people are extensions of the state. Peter Thiel is a government oligarch. 
No question about it. He's a government oligarch. Folks, he developed the software Palantir. I mean, he didn't sit there and code it. He launched Palantir. It was a software created under the guise that it was going to track down terrorists after 9-11 by their financial transactions. It was funded by CIA via their venture firm in QTEL. Now, Palantir, since 2018, under a contract under the Trump administration for almost $100 million, sits inside of the IRS, and they have the ability, this is a AI-driven software that does all kinds of tracking and data analysis for the government, they can track you by your banking records, your social media, your phone records, and other data to track you down and harass you for the IRS. Okay, Peter Thiel, that's him. He funded this guy, Vitalak Buterin, to develop Ethereum. And now Ethereum is the base system, as we see, for one of the tests of the Bank for International Settlements on building out a CBDC test. All right? For the central bankers. That's Peter Thiel, folks. That's Peter Thiel. So why... Do people want to believe that this is a system that was designed to break the banks and break the governments when it was all put together by the very technocrats, the technologists, the science, uh, scientists, and the engineers that are part of the technocracy? This is not a decentralized system. It is becoming more centralized. All right, I'm going to break away from the R3 document. We're going to go to settle.io. That's S-E-T-L dot I-O. And this is an article from December 2021. This is the Regulated Liability Network, RLN, white paper on scalability and performance. And I have that white paper, which I'll show you momentarily. We're not going to go through all of it, folks. It says, in his paper, quote, the regulated Internet of Value, end quote, Tony McLaughlin proposes a single network to record tokens and balances where tokens represent a promise or the liability of a regulated entity. This network, referred to as the Regulated Liability Network, would be used to issue liabilities of commercial banks, e-money providers, as well as central banks, which would, in essence, be, excuse me, be central bank digital currency. In November 2021, a group of financial institutions demonstrated a working prototype on Settle's open source blockchain solution. Again, that's SETL. As part of the Global CBDC Challenge hosted by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the technical solution proposed by Settle was designed to scale to meet the transaction volume and throughput requirements of a practical RLN. The purpose of this white paper is to evaluate the scalability of that architecture. To make this assessment, Settle collaborated with Amazon Web Services. Again, they house CIA data under government contracts to design and conduct performance tests on a simulated network aiming to validate that the Settle-based architecture could support 1,000 banks, each submitting 1,000 transactions per second to the network. For example, a throughput of 1 million transactions per second. So you could register on here to download the white paper, of which I did. 
And now I've been getting hit with all types of spam from these folks. But this is Settle. This is a 40-page PDF, Settle, the Regulated Liability Network White Paper on Scalability and Performance, scaling RLN to 1 million TPS, powered by Amazon web services so folks again we have a table of contacts here with a lot of stuff all right then we have a group of authors i'm going to throw these names out here i don't know you might recognize some of them this is settle this is anthony culligan nicholas pennington margin delon delatine felipe morale and then from Amazon Web Services, we have Erica M. Salinas, Gloria Vargas, Nilesh Dusain, Jack Liu, uh, Saqib Sheik. And then you have contributors, Nick Kerrigan, Tony McLaughlin. Uh, so you have Kerrigan, who's head of innovation and uh, execution for Swift. You have Tony McLaughlin from City. You have Patrick DeCourcy from Payoneer. You have Melvin Lowe, head of global transaction banking at OCBC Bank. And you have Kwan Hoon Park, digital solutions, global transaction banking of OCBC Bank. All right, and so this is a whole entire 40-page paper on this. And let me just read you the introduction by Anthony Culligan. He's the chief engineer of Settle. It says here, distributed ledger technology can support millions of transactions per second. This core proposition has caused a high level of interest. People are used to talking about blockchains as being slow and having a high energy footprint. This paper, which we published today in collaboration with Amazon Web Services, focuses on speed. How can a DLT reach industrial speed and therefore leave behind the proof-of-concept stage where so many DLT projects have been confined? In a follow-up study, we will focus on how the Settle blockchain is an environment-conscious choice with a limited carbon footprint, right? Because we've talked about how they're going to need all these quantum computers, you know, digital currency takes a lot of computer power and therefore it uses a lot of energy so don't worry this is all sustainability folks these guys these guys fit right into the climate hustle well the climate hustle and cbdc all ties in together it says when reviewing the conclusions of this paper with several collaborators it became evident that a guide would be useful for the reader to understand the design choices we made to achieve the target speed and to explain specifically how settled blockchain compares with and differs from other blockchains and so here they have first the attributes that settled blockchain shares with other blockchains and so stating the obvious it is a blockchain and it is a distributed ledger. It has a consensus process. Every transaction is settled real-time on chain. I'm not going to read all of the details in here, folks. Now it says, what makes it different? And so you have consensus, ordering, enhanced network functionality, uh, parallelization of network functions, optimizing inter-process communication, non-prescriptive approach to participation it has a small energy footprint and so it says here in summary when nick pennington settles cto chief technology officer uh, and i sat down to map this approach out we made an active decision to design from a blank slate we wanted to draw from the fantastic strides made in cloud scalability over the last 10 years and to create
create a business logic that took the best from our experience in blockchain and DLT. Most importantly, we wanted to construct a technology that can solve for real problems in regulated financial services. The team of technical experts at Settle in collaboration with Amazon Web Services have brought this vision to life. So ladies and gentlemen, again, again, this is a 40-page document here on this whole uh, operation. And then we go over to a website. This is M as in Michael, number 10, numerical 10, M10.io. This is what is regulated liabilities network RLN and why do we need one? And this is a whole article that gets into City's paper, the regulated internet of value. And from here, you can go to their white paper, which is M10's Implementing a Regulated Liabilities Network. Authors Martin Nelson, Richard Carr, and Che Ann. And this gets into, in June 2021, City released a paper entitled The Regulated Internet of Value, authored by Tony McLaughlin, Head of Emerging Payments and Business Development at City's Treasury and Trade Solutions. In the City paper, the author makes a case for networks of regulated liabilities and assets. And so this is another white paper that gets into building the RLN. As you can see, folks, the technologists, the tech companies, the banks, the banking institutions, central banks are moving forward with this stuff at light speed i'm not going to go through every single document because it would be uh, redundant and frankly it would be confusing we wouldn't fully understand all this stuff but now we have these references we have this open source intelligence so as we go forward into reviewing the panel discussions uh, by the world economic forum bank for international settlements international monetary fund and the united nations we will be able to draw back to the stuff that we learned and maybe we'll get into some of these documents as they become more important what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on consensus and what they're doing with the central banks as they are, I see it as the connective tissue between the current financial infrastructure and what the central bank is trying to build. Basically creating these RLNs and this blockchain overlay that sits on top of Ethereum. We're going to try to put the pieces of that puzzle together and then listen to the panel discussions and connect all that, folks. All right. When I get back, let me show you one more piece i want to start to look at the parts that need to be created in order for them to bring cbdc to fruition we'll want to know this uh, inside and out it's a chart we're going to look at and that way as we start to see these projects unfold we'll be able to start to track when this stuff is actually going to happen when it is going to come to fruition ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I want to pull this up for you. It was a good little resource. Uh, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Payne Podcast on Friday, sent this to me. 
and I think it is a very important resource, as is the Atlantic Council tracker on CBDCs. Not obviously designed for us. It's designed for the bad guys (laughs) to know what's uh, going on, but it's always good to look at their intelligence, right? You want to climb inside their world. You know, the World Economic Forum panel discussions are not designed for us. It's designed for the bad guys, but it allows us to have a handle on what is coming. So always look to the information the bad guys are putting out. Uh, Basically, they're inter-office memos published to the world. Well, this is nchain.com. N is in Nancy, chain, C-H-A-I-N.com. I have it up on the screen for the folks over at pain.tv slash gold. And this was written in October uh, 2022, uh, actually just about a month ago. This is written by Team N-Chain. It says, how long will it take to launch a CBDC? And this is really good. It's simple. Uh, But it really falls into line with some of the more complex stuff I've looked at. I've gone through a lot of the white papers, and it uh, this kind of breaks it all down into layman's terms. It says, CBDC timeline. Launching a CBDC must follow a clear process, involve multiple stakeholders, and consider the wider social, political, economic, and structural context. The roadmap for implementing a CBDC given here will not universally uh, will not be universally applicable, but it is a helpful illustration of how implementation can work. So it says three to five years to launch a CBDC. Given that it took four years to launch the sand dollar and at least several years to launch the Enaria, we estimate that a time frame of three to five years seems appropriate for emerging economies. And it says uh, customization. It will likely take much longer for a CBDC to be introduced to markets such as the Eurozone, United States, or United Kingdom. This timeline may be reduced significantly if off-the-shelf products that need little customization, for example, digital cash, digital money, digital ID, wallet, as well as the underlying infrastructure are available. Now, that's very important. And let me repeat that, okay? It says this timeline may be reduced significantly if off-the-shelf products that need little customization as well as the underlying infrastructure are available, right? So little customization. So you're talking about digital cash, digital money, digital ID, you know, and the wallet. Well, let's say all of a sudden uh, Coinbase you know, was going to become the wallet on behalf of Uncle Sam, right? So they could uh, use that wallet, boom, then they don't have to develop that. And let's say digital cash, digital money, that kind of stuff could be built on top of, say, an Ethereum-type system. Well, it takes care of that problem. All right, digital ID. Well, we know they're moving in that direction. That would not be very difficult to create the digital ID, by the way. And so then you have the existing underlying infrastructure. Well, this is what I'm looking at that consensus is getting involved with by bringing in partners like Visa, 
which we reviewed, uh, you know, on this show on the Dustin Gold Standard and MasterCard, which we have not reviewed, but I found that partnership going on. So by bringing in these big partners uh, as Visa pitches itself, they already have 80 million merchants worldwide. And then they have, I'll look it up, how many people are carrying around a Visa card. So if all of a sudden on the merchant side, you have the uh, 80 million Visa merchants already set up to accept cbdc because visa just turns on the switch on their point of sale system then boom that's done and if you have all the people carrying around a visa card they could just use that at the store to pay with their cbdc boom that's done there's very little uh, you know very few problems as far as adoption goes because people just have an extra feature they don't have to learn an entirely new system so that's why i'm focused on consensus in part which we're going to cover tomorrow and we're going to wrap up this mini series on cbdc because frankly folks it's starting to uh it's starting to um, become redundant because we can't go into all the different technology involved with building it. Uh, we just have to understand how it works and then figure out when it's coming. All right, it says right here, CBDC timeline. This is an important uh, little chart I found here. And this lines up with a lot of the other charts I found inside of white papers coming right out of the technocracy, right? So it says CBDC timeline regulatory approval. Okay, number one, uh, and I have this up on the screen for the folks at um, pain.tv slash gold. It says, number one, uh, phase one, scoping and assessment. Analyze context, choose provider, identify goals and requirements, brief stakeholders, economic modeling, risk assessment, evaluate benefits and risk, scope alternative options. So we're looking at a lot of that happening here with RLN, and we're looking at happening with the R3 on Corda, and we're looking at this with Embridge, okay? This is uh, stuff they're going through, all these white papers, all the regulatory bodies, the uh, Security and Exchange Commission, you know, that we saw weigh in in one of the articles that we uh, reviewed here. All right, number two, this is phase two, design, choose CBDC structure and technology, define operating model, and establish rules, okay? So that's what we're looking at with, you know, is CBDC just going to be issued by the central bank? Are there going to be these other commercial banks, these regulated non-banks, these stable coins that can issue tokens? Will those come back and be settled out by the central banks? Again, that's designing all of the uh, structure. Number three, phase three, proof of concept. Develop a prototype to test in an internal environment. Get feedback and refine. All right, let's develop a prototype, right? The proof of concept. So that's what we were just reading about. They're talking about these white papers being turned into proof of concept projects and then taking those and then developing prototypes and then testing them. And now they're beginning to run tests like we saw with the Bank for International Settlements test. We saw with the test going on now with RLN inside of the United States. We see tests being done with various uh, pockets of countries for cross-border payments. So we're looking at all that happening right now. Number four, this is phase four, full implementation. Implement governance processes, integrate technology, migrate data, and onboard stakeholders, banks, payment providers, right? So once they have the structure in place, 
and they have the governments uh, weighing in, you know, and if they have to do this just for show, passing the laws and regulations that allow this to happen, they need that to take place. And then you're going to integrate this technology. This is what consensus is working on, building sort of this uh, platform that lays on top of Ethereum and then is able to connect in all these stakeholders, which are the banks and the payment providers, eventually the merchants and the consumers that are going to be able to pay with this stuff. So that's going to be full implementation. They are very close. Some countries are already at this stage, but they are very close to doing this in most of the other countries. Okay. And then five, phase five is the launch, educate citizens, run campaigns and deploy CBDC. Now that part is going to be very easy. Think about it right now. We are already in the middle of educating the citizens, right? I mean, I'm obviously educating you. I'm not doing it for this purpose, but you're starting to see Bitcoin being sold at ATM machines. You've heard about cryptocurrencies over the years. They have people like Mark Cuban, who goes on Shark Tank. He goes on Fox News. He talks about it. You have Elon Musk talk about it. You have everybody's favorite trading card hero talk about it. So the adoption campaigns have already begun. And then all of a sudden, the education campaigns that'll be done through all the merchant partners right that'll be done through the governments it'll be done through the fake tv hosts the propagandists the people affiliated with gec the global engagement center all these government propagandists on television very easy they'll be able to train the citizens in a matter of moments especially if you're able to do this through your apple pay or your google wallet or your visa card or your mastercard or your amex uh, or, you know, whatever debit cards you have. Uh, be very, very easy. So it says different phases. During each phase, it will be vital to both advance knowledge among key stakeholders on CBDCs while also minimizing the risk of triggering a banking crisis. All right, so they don't want to trigger the banking crisis. That's why this is being slow rolled. We've talked about that before. They don't want to run on the bank in the middle of the system. I've explained this actually when we were talking about jury nullification or we're talking about switching over from the current internet system to something like Starlink. They are in a bridge mode. They're very weak right now. This is why if this show was gigantic, if I was Rush Limbaugh, we could probably orchestrate a collapse on these guys because they're in a weak mode. They're in the bridge, you know, M bridge. They are in this bridge. That is the fourth industrial revolution, which is the bridge between the third industrial era the fourth industrial era so as they're trying to onboard these new systems they are in a position where they are weak all right this is like a giant company say like city say they were going to move their entire operation from operating system one to operating system two they're very weak and open for attack when they are migrating from one system to another system and that's what is happening now and so that's why and this is happening in banking it's happening in a number of other sectors and industries they're moving over how they're managing supply chains and everything else so they are in a position of weakness it's just the people don't understand this and there's not enough of me or mike moore maria albanese out there or legal man or others to be able to spread the word that we could actually collapse their system so it says uh again um 
During each phase, it will be vital to both advance knowledge among key stakeholders on CBDCs while also minimizing the risk of triggering a banking crisis. We recommend conducting simulation and market research on economic design choices affecting CBDCs, including factors such as holding limits, reimbursement, interest and non-interest bearing, and guarantee mechanisms. It will also be important to test and analyze what mix of efficiency, convenience, privacy, and other features maximizes the public interest and test-based assumptions about conditions that it can, can affect public acceptance and adoption of digital currency. So it's all about the adoption, folks. And so right here, I'll just give you this. It says resources required for CBDC. CBDCs require new infrastructure, entities, and regulation to be set up. And it is a fundamental change for a country's payment system. Governments need to allocate significant financial and human resources for such a program and have a robust change management plan. Although no figures on how much was spent to establish active CBDCs, such as Bahamian Sand Dollar or Nigeria's Inaria, are available, it is estimated that a single implementation could cost upwards of tens of millions of U.S. dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Hundreds of billions. This can be offset by the economic benefits and cost savings of a CBDC. Okay, so what they're talking about is the uh, offset. They're saying that it's going to be cheaper and it's going to save everyone money to do these uh, transactions right through the central bank, as we covered here briefly. So I'm telling you, folks, this is very important because they're quickly working through these phases. And again, I'll just repeat this one more time and I won't say it again. I want to understand when this is going to be rolled out. It's already being rolled out in test phases. I want to try to figure out when they're going to take a big chunk like social security or ebt you know welfare uh, disability when they're going to take a large sector of the population and force them into cbdc because that will be the beginning of people starting to accept it it'll be a real world adoption of central bank digital currency and never forget ladies and gentlemen never forget this is all about technocracy. This is the very tenet, the very definition of the original technocracy plan. This is the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. And this is the science of social engineering because they will engineer us into this. They're always socially engineering us into more and more technology, into accepting the prison planet that we are building around ourselves. Some of you may go to work inside of City, like Mike Moore did. Some of you may go to work inside of Visa or MasterCard or work for Consensus. Some of you may be an immigration lawyer helping H-1B visas get in here to work on stuff like this, on projects like this. So we are actually helping build the prison planet around us. This is the culture of technocracy. We are in it now, folks, and I think you can see here cbdc is right around the corner we'll go into depth on this tomorrow in episode uh well hopefully i'll have maria albanese on for episode 100 but if not we're going to jump into consensus there's some really important stuff in there and then i'm going to work my way to covering the panel discussions i mentioned before and then we're going to get off of cbdc and we're going to get back into some other topics i have to wrap up mk ultra and a couple of other programs that i 
I found that are going on. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will see you tomorrow for episode 100. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard for all of humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold.